Exodus chapter 20, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you nor your son nor your daughter nor your male servant nor your female servant nor your cattle nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth. The sea and all that in them is in them and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we recognize our own sinful hearts. And Lord, it would not perhaps naturally occur to us the importance which you attach to this fourth commandment. Yet, Lord, it is very clear that you take this very seriously as you do all of your moral law. And, Lord, how we pray that we would learn from it. How we pray that our own hearts would be fully molded in accordance with these tablets of stone. That they would be truly impressed upon our heart. That that which is prophesied would be true of us. That your law would be written on our heart. And it would forever be our delight to do as you have called us to. We pray, Lord, you'd bless our study of your law and that you would make us both to receive and enjoy that which is contained in it and to go forth to obey it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we carry on in our journey through the Ten Commandments. This now brings us to the Fourth Commandment, the Sabbath day. Now, I should say that we're still in that first table of the law having to do with the way we interact and relate to God, or rather, I should say, the way that we love God. You know that the entire moral law is, is summarized. I'm not just saying this. this is what the, the Word of God, this is what the Lord Jesus Christ said, that the whole, the whole moral law is summarized in love. Loving the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself. But as I mentioned, God does not leave us to decide how we might love, to define love, but rather stipulates, specifies what love looks like. He says, I want you to love me, and here in this first table of the law, I'm going to show you what that looks like, so you'll know how to love me. And this fourth uh, commandment has to do with loving him in terms of time. Because look, if you go through that first table, we are to, first of all, Affirm his existence by believing in him as God without any rival or equal. Two, we are to worship this one true God in the way he is commanded. Three, we are to speak about God and use his name in a reverent and loving way. And now fourthly, we are to use his day as he is commanded because this is truly his day. Now, as I mentioned, this commandment is about time. God is Lord over our lives, every aspect of our lives. He is Lord over the whole universe, but he is particularly Lord over us, our lives, our bodies, our things, our mouths, right? The way we use our tongues and our time. And every hour of of our lives surely belongs to him. And as we're going to see, this commandment, Although it focuses on one day, actually it's about all of the days, because six days we are to work, and one day we are to rest and worship. And so this is the commandment having to do with the way we govern our time. 
Now, this being his time, as we mentioned, we should not steal from him. But all too often we know that we do. And we know that we use his day sometimes for purposes other than what he has established. At least we have this tendency, don't we? As I have said before, and I will say again, it's a strange and sad thing. But we always want to, it seems like we want to rest when we should be working. And it seems like we want to work when we should be resting. And so it is with our hearts of sin. Well, what is revealed when we use his day for other purposes? What does that reveal about our hearts? It reveals our lack of love to God. Indeed, a heart in rebellion against God. You see, that's, that's the thing. When you have a day that is set aside particularly for remembering God, a, set, a day set aside for worshiping God, a day that is uh, ring-fenced from all other uses just so you can spend time, it's, it's God's own appointment with his people. And when we want to do something else, it tells us that our, our love isn't what it should be. And I hope that you understand this then, that God's own attitude and the attitude of the elders with regard to the Lord's Day is not the heart of the legalist enforcing the Lord's Day in some sort of harsh way, but rather as an appointment to spend time with your God. And your attitude and all of our attitudes about that day actually says everything um, with regard to our hearts to the God who has instituted this day. Now, as you're saying, the larger picture, this is a longer introduction than usual, but I think it needs to be introduced in this way. In the larger picture, this is the front line with the battle over the moral law in our day. And not just in our day, pretty much in, throughout most of church history. Because antinomians always, you know what an antinomian is, one who fights against the moral law and says, if you're a Christian, you're set free from the moral law. You know you're set free from the ceremonial law. You're, you certainly couldn't be set free from, from the moral law because the definition of freedom is perfect conformity to God's moral law, just like Christ is perfectly free and he perfectly keeps this law in every regard. That's the perfect freedom that he has. Satan's slavery is to get you to sin against it. But an antinomian then always begins with this fourth commandment because he believes that this is a weakness and they always, they always want to introduce some confusion and say that this is really the ceremonial law and that you don't really have to keep this Lord's day. But whatever argument, whatever method they use to destroy the Sabbath day, the collateral damage, as a friend of ours mentions, the collateral damage of this is to take out the whole rest of the law. How could it be otherwise? It's just one, it's one of the Ten Commandments written on the same t- st- tablet of stone. And whatever you do to destroy this and say you don't have to keep it, you've destroyed the rest of the law along with it. Well, there are Ten Commandments, not nine. And the Westminster Confession, 19.5, says, The moral law doth forever bind us all, as justified persons as others, meaning Christians, certainly, as everyone else, to the obedience thereof, and that not only in regard to the matter contained in it, but also in respect of the authority of God, the creator who gave it, right? It's about the authority of God who gave it. You might not see the point. It might not have occurred to you, but we're obeying God's law, not our own, and it's about upholding his authority rather than establishing our own. Neither doth Christ in the gospel in any way dissolve, but very much strengthen this obligation, 
Now, let me say again, and going to another part of the bigger picture here. Uh, are you uh, at, at root? Are you an antinomian, or are you a um, a legalist? Well, some people would say some of us are naturally. We're, some of us are elder brothers, and we're natural legalists. And some of us are younger brothers, and we're, we're natural antinomians. But friends, I want us to see that we are all naturally antinomians in one respect, and legalists in the other. All right, I believe that we are all legalists when it comes to justification. Right? When it comes to how we're saved, we all want to have our fingerprints on it some little old way. Because we want to uphold our human autonomy. We don't want to be completely beholden to God and a recipient of his pure charity. So we want to have some part in it. And we are all antinomians when it comes to our sanctification, right? When it comes to us becoming more and more like Christ in sanctification and of keeping the moral law and keeping the commandments that God gives to us, we all want to say, I have a little bit of autonomy to do what I want, and to uphold the law sometimes and sometimes not. We don't want to bow to the absolute authority of God to tell us how to live. Do you see how it is? It's the same heart of rebellion in different ways. Antinomianism and, and legalism with respect to different parts of salvation. But I want us to believe that winning this particular battle of, re, of receiving the Lord's day and of bowing to the authority of God in it is a crucial part of winning the battle. If we are willing to submit in this, it actually has implications for the rest of our lives in ways that may not initially be apparent to us. And maybe, for some of you, you don't see the practical use of a Lord's Day. But receiving this on faith and submitting to the authority of God and governing you, you actually may do you good in ways that you can't immediately understand at the outset. Well, anyhow, um, for the first time, let me also say, we come to some minor differences in wording between Exodus here and also in Deuteronomy 5, the second telling of the law. Now, Exodus uh, Exodus 20 is is what was written on stone, the tablets themselves. Now, Deuteronomy is the inspired retelling of the law and often includes elements of commentary and theology that are are found there. It's, It's not, you know, the Lord has a purpose in giving us Deuteronomy as well as Exodus. And so I'll be mentioning a particular way in which these commandments differ because it's very important. Okay, so that's the introduction. This sermon is the fourth commandment. And there are three simple points. Remember, work, and rest. Remember, work, and rest. First of all, remember, verse 8, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Because the fundamental character of what we are doing on the Lord's day is remembering. Friends, our problem is forgetting things. We are not mindful of the things that we ought to be mindful of. Uh, We have said on many occasions that the Christian's problem is precisely that we are not mindful of the benefits we have in Christ. We don't remember the things that we've already learned. If we were to remember even a fraction of them, we would be in a wonderful condition. If we were to remember even a fraction of the Lord's mercies to us, we would not be so downcast and joyless. If we are mindful of the whole host of, of, goodnesses, of acts of kindness and goodness that God has granted to us and the immense privileges that he has granted to us, 
we would walk around in uninterrupted joy. But our great problem is we forget these things. Our great problem is we're not mindful of God and his word. And so the fundamental character, before we think of anything else about the way we should honor, the way we should keep this Sabbath day, both positively and negatively, it's about remembrance. Remember the Sabbath day. Now, I, I say, so it is a remembrance, it's a commemoration uh, we, as, as ordinary human people, do that. We have this day and that day, and it's interesting to see as the, cu- the culture shifts that we institute new days to remember new kind of causes and new heroes, and maybe not all the, those, that wonderful of heroes sometimes, but we have days for saints, we have days for sovereigns, we have days for presidents and the like, we have days for moms, we have days for dads, days for bosses, days for secretaries, and on and on and on. Because somebody somewhere says, this person is worthy of our remembrance. And the world should not just carry on year after year without remembering this very significant person or event or cause or something along those lines. So we set aside some day to commemorate it and to celebrate. Well, so it is with the Lord's Day. Except it's not just once a year. It's every single week because God is that important. Okay? That is the fundamental nature of what we're doing. It is a remembrance, and it is a weekly remembrance because God himself looms, must loom so very large on our calendars and in our hearts. Now, also that remembrance, it's really a twofold sense there because it is a a clue um, to something that is implicit throughout this, which is that it's no new commandment, all right? He doesn't begin it by saying, I know you've never heard of this before, but I'm going to institute at this moment a new idea of resting on this particular day of the week. No. He says, remember the Sabbath day, the one that you already know about, because it's been around for a long time. In fact, it's it's been around since the very creation week. It's long established. And friends, and that's, as we're going to see, this is the rationale. You're only doing what God himself did when he rested at the end of the creation week. If that's the case, then could this really be something that's merely part of the Mosaic ceremonial law that's therefore ended in Christ? Of course not. Because he's merely remembering and and we're, we're being reminded of something that has been there since the very beginning that is woven into the very fabric of creation. It's no new aspect of the ceremonial law. Like every other one of these laws, like thou shalt not kill, it's been there from the beginning and shall remain forever. Now, what is it that we should remember? The rationale is given in verse 11. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. So let's, let's begin as we think about uh, what's contained in this. We remember that it is God who created everything and not us. That's really important, right? That's one of those fundamental things. It's about remembering God, what aspect of God, that he is the creator. And he is the one who did all this. When you look around and you see this beautiful, vast universe in which we inhabit, you say, God did it, not me. Now that's a good sort of pattern to keep in mind. Because as God expands the meaning of the Sabbath day throughout time and includes not only, as we're going to see, not only creation but also redemption, we have to see that God has done that too, not us. 
And if we don't get that right, then we don't get anything else right about this day. We look, when we come to the Sabbath day, we stop what we're doing, and we say, appearances, to the contrary aside, this redemption is not something I did for myself or anyone else, but rather something that God did. And I rest, and I enjoy it, and I receive it as he gives it to me. In six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested the the seventh day. So he himself rested, and you have to say, in what sense did God rest? Well, we certainly, in the sense that he paused, he stopped this this work of creation, but we know that he is ever active. We know that the the son says that the father has been at work, and so I work. From the beginning. And so there's a sense in which God never ceases his activity of upholding the universe. He could not do that. The universe would fall into, into disrepair and nothingness soon enough. So he does uphold it. But the sense in which he has certainly rested from this aspect of his work. Uh, right? The creation is not a continuous creation. He's not forever making things. There's a point at which he created and then he ceased from that labor. And friends, there will be a time in which he ceases from the labor of redemption, right? This work right now, the great work of Christ in this world, the great work of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is to redeem for himself a people. That's what he's doing. And day by day, he's calling new people, covenant children and people from the world to come into his church. And he is hard at work, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, sanctifying that people, making a bride for the Son of God in eternity. But one day, there will be a, a resting from that, an eternal resting, an, an eternal contemplation and enjoyment of the fruits of all that labor. And we look forward together with the Lord Jesus to that day in which we contemplate the great things that have been done. He blessed, he rested the Sabbath day, and therefore he blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Blessed it and hallowed it. Now, it's hard for us to understand exactly what we're, I mean, we don't know many things that are hallowed. All we know is the word Halloween, which is, is related to that, of course. All hallows Eve is the idea, and it has to do with saints. But to hallow something means to set it apart from its ordinary use to make it holy. It's a holy thing. It's set apart from ordinary use. And so, friends, I want us to be reminded by this, that when anyone ever says to you that all of life is worship, and what they mean is to say, I don't need to keep the the Lord's day, uh, please remind them of this rationale that is given here in Exodus, when he says that the Lord himself is the one that hallowed this particular day of the week. All right? Now, the Lord made all seven days, and he, he... he exercises lordship over them. He doesn't say, well, I've given seven to the devil and this one's for me. But he says, this one I particularly hallow. There is something different and special about this day. And when we accept that, we introduce no new thing, but are simply submitting to the wisdom of God when he says that he has hallowed it. And we do likewise. He hallowed it and he blessed it. There's a certain blessing that comes, therefore, in the Lord's day that is not there on other days. Now, we've already explained what that blessing really is. It's an appointment in which we meet with our maker, an appointment in which we meet with our redeemer, an appointment by which we are blessed. And isn't it wonderful how in this very time we've been going through Luke chapter 24, so we see what that looks like. The Lord says he's blessed this day. 
And so he does. In these appearances that we find in the Gospels after the resurrection, we see that uh, on the vast majority and, and pretty much all the ones that we are certain as to what day it happened, these things happen on the Lord's day. Because why? He's going to bless it. There will be a great blessing that comes with this day. Not only in rest. Yes, that's part of it. And imagine the situation. that The harder you work during the week, the more you look forward to this day. That's really a blessing in itself. But beyond it then, to be a, a day of heaven on earth in which the church gets to meet with her Lord. That is a beautiful blessing. And I hope you've experienced it. Well, that let me say here that this explanation that is given is slightly different than what we have in Deuteronomy because all this has to do with creation week here in Exodus, both the creation and the resting. But in Deuteronomy 5, we have this, And remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there by a mighty hand and by an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Right? So... Uh, here we are, this is a, an example of how the, the Lord is adding to the meaning of the Sabbath day over the, the course of redemption. So from the creation up until the exodus, the, the primary thing to be considered is God's creation of all things and resting on that seventh day. And then now in the exodus, added to that is the fact that he has redeemed his people from slavery. And they didn't have any rest in Egypt. They were, there was no Sabbath for them. And rather, it's pointing to they're being brought out from that bondage and given then rest in a restful land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the promised land. Not that they didn't work in the six days. Of course they did. But the fundamental character of the promised land was that of rest uh, from this slavery, this chattel slavery in which they were in bondage to. And so that element of the, of the exodus is added to it. And let me say then, that when we then come to the Lord's Day, and we know that the Lord's Day is a further development of this commandment, what is added then is the entirety of the redemption in the, of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the Confession 21.7, it says, As it is the law of nature that in general a due proportion of time be set apart for the worship of God, so in his word by a positive moral and perpetual commandment binding all men in all ages, he hath particularly appointed one day in seven for a Sabbath to be kept holy unto him, which from the beginning of the world to the resurrection of Christ was the last day of the week, and from the resurrection of Christ was changed into the first day of the week, which in scripture is called the Lord's Day and is to be continued to the end of the world as a Christian Sabbath. And let me say it needed to be that way. All right? There needed to be this additional understanding and meaning to the Sabbath after an, a, an event as great as the Exodus. We had to understand that. My friends, the Exodus is nothing in comparison with what happened with the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the central event of all of human history, more important than creation itself. And the, the, the Lord's Day, which we now keep, is a, uh, more, more so than of creation and more so than the Exodus. It is primarily a remembrance of Christ himself and his resurrection on this day. This morning we were talking, weren't we, about how the reality of the bodily resurrection of the Lord Jesus and how it is that people are so slow and unwilling to receive it in its, in its totality. And God in his goodness says, this event is so important, you must remember it every single week. 
I'll give you one day in seven to be continually remembering this most important event of all of history and for all time. Now, let me just, as we see this development, let me also say that as it says to remember the Sabbath day, as there is this hallowing of the Sabbath day and blessing attached to it, that is the connection to worship. Because the character is both to rest and also to worship. And that's because of the special nature of this day. That is a hallowed day. And it is right both to, to rest and to worship. And some will put it as a restful worship, and some will put it as a worshipful rest, but we are speaking of a combination and, and conjunction of those two concepts on this day. Now, that is what we should be doing. We should be remembering in this is the fundamental idea under which these other things are part. And so secondly, we should work. We should work. What does, what does the fourth commandment tell us about? Well, it tells us to work. That, that's actually what it says in verse 9. Before it gets to explaining how we should rest in verse 10, it first tells us, six days you shall labor and do all your work. Because that's a positive command. We should labor, work, we should do our business. And that aspect, beloved, is actually half of the commandment. And in terms of our days, in terms of how many days we live in this world, it is six-seventh uh, six of all of our time is spent under the province of working those six days. So, for instance, is it possible to disobey the fourth commandment on Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday? Absolutely it is. Absolutely it is. Every bit as possible as it is to disobey on, uh, on the Lord's Day, so it's possible to disobey as we decide to use it for something other than what God has given it for. And what he says that we should do on those days is to work. And in this, we remember, when we think about God's creation, we think about God's design and plan for us, and we remember that man was made to do work. That is absolutely part of his good design. That's another thing. You know, when people say, well, maybe the, 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 this commandment is part of, of the ceremony law and we don't have to keep it, what's bizarre is they, they never say that we should, you know, stop working because we understand, of course, that we will all fall into poverty, and mere self-interest requires that we work on these six days. But that's part of his good design for man. It's not part of the fall. Remember, working with, that comes along with, with thorns and thistles, and working that comes along with sweat of the brow, that's part of the fall. But work itself is part of the original good design of God. And therefore, we should embrace that design and work these six days well, not only is being lazy a violation of this aspect of the commandment, I would say it also sets us up for violating the other aspect on the Sabbath day. I can only say in my own experience it's very often because we've not done the things that we ought to have done on the other six days that we are so very tempted to violate, to misuse the Sabbath day to, to do our work. And this particularly applies, I think, to students and as they, they have some exam perhaps coming up on, on Monday, or that for that reason I'm so appreciative of the Free Church College, uh, never had e exams at all uh, on, on Monday, um, and uh, really there wasn't much going on on Monday at all to make sure that we would not um, fall afoul of these kind of things. But that's not the way in the world as a whole. 
And um, they, they neglect things, you know, and, and forget this aspect of, of the commandment. And then there's a tremendous weight of temptation then to, uh, to work on the Lord's Day. But they're not the only ones. Lots of us feel that as well. And I would say beyond uh, waiting and, and putting a load of, of temptation on the Lord's Day by not doing what we should be doing on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, I would say that we're simply setting out the habit of submitting our time to God and to his law on those other days as well. And when we have that habit established and when we are keeping what God tells us to do on all the rest of those days, we are conditioned throughout the week to do with our time as God sees fit rather than we do. Because, of course, the the opposite is to do with our time as we see fit. And that's the habit that we bring into the Lord's Day. Well, if we've been breaking it for six days out of the week, it'll be no big deal for us to do it one more time on Sunday. But on the other hand, if we have been very scrupulous in upholding the Lord's commandment on the first six days, or on those six days, then it will be easier for us to do it again on Sunday. Well, we should work. And let me just say again that even as we consider the fundamental nature of this commandment, remember is, is, is to remember as we are doing this work and we are reminded of the curse, we are reminded of our sin, we are reminded of the fundamental limitations as we do our work throughout the week, that the rest becomes so much more welcome. And we take uh, a break from the work of our hands and we, we say that in all these things, God himself must do it for me because that's the nature of the gospel. Work is what sets the Sabbath in relief. Even like a, some Rembrandt painting, which is primarily dark, maybe six parts in seven are utterly dark on the canvas and then there's this one seventh that is light it is beautiful and bright because of that. And inasmuch as we scrupulously keep um, this commandment throughout the week, we have a much more beautiful and stark, starkly contrasting Sabbath uh, to be blessed through. So we should remember. Secondly, we should work. And thirdly, we should rest. We finally come to that in verse 10. And the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. Can I just say that again? The seventh is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. Question, whose Sabbath is it? Is it my Sabbath? Is it the Presbyterian Sabbath? And let me say, the reality is that in, in the, the church, in the, over the last generation, many, many uh, church traditions, denominations have really forgotten about this entirely. It has always been the Reformed distinctive to be concerned about this, this commandment in the Lord's day. But in our day, it's even more so as, as various traditions sort of um, abandon the idea. And you might get the idea that this is some sort of Presbyterian thing. And that it's, it's just that the EPCW has decided to have this, to, to consider it. But friends, whose day is it? Whose Sabbath is it? It's God's. Not mine, not yours. It's God's. Now, Luke 6.5 reminds us. Now, bizarrely, some people use Luke 6.5 as a reason to say you don't have to keep the Sabbath. But here's what it says. The Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. God is asserting his control. He is authority, his lordship over the Sabbath. 
And so it's not, for instance, it's not up to the Pharisees to decide how they want to keep it. They can't decide that they're going to be persnickety about people grabbing handsful of grain just to sustain themselves on the Lord's Day, while mean, meaningly, well, meanwhile, while devouring widows' houses if they want to, and dishonoring God in all sorts of ways, and withholding mercy and justice. Uh, they, they, it's not their prerogative to do that because it's not their Sabbath. It's the Lord's Sabbath. And he says, I'm in control here. And I'm going to tell you, I have the authority. It's my day, and I'm going to tell you what you can do and what you can't do. It's God's Sabbath. And then he goes on to explain how it is that we should rest. You shall do no work. You. He begins with you. But he goes on. Nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your your stranger who is within your gates. The whole list. And friends, you have to understand. I don't know how the the Ten Commandments are, are set before you. But there they are. You see just how big this commandment is. It takes up more text in my Bible than any other. It's rivaled only actually by the second commandment. It's interesting to me that the two things that least occur to wicked mankind are the things that take up the most space in Scripture. The, the briefest ones are the things like you shall not murder and you shall not steal because everybody in the world knows those things and you don't have to say much about it. But the commandment having to do with images takes up this much. And the commandment having to do with the Sabbath even takes up just a little bit more. And God knows our wicked hearts. That soon enough we would say, well, I'm not doing any work, but my servants are, and that's okay. And the God says, no, no, no. If you are an authority over anyone else, inasmuch as you have authority over anyone, you should ensure that they have a Sabbath as well. No doubt it's even more important for them. If you're in authority, that means you can always take a break, and they they don't have that. And in this, we are merely doing what God himself does. He's an authority over everyone. We are all his servants, his manservants and his maidservants. And he ensures that we have a Sabbath. And so we should also, for those who are in authority over. And even the animals. An amazing thing, isn't it? The animals. Well, animal rights have probably gone a little bit too far of late. We're, we're more concerned, you know, about fish and, and whales than we are about the unborn. Uh, and, and it's obviously that it's, it's an element that has gone way too far. But uh, we should keep in mind that God himself has put in place a basic form of animal welfare, even in the Sabbath. Uh, that was amazingly one of the great problems when the communists... You know, both the communists in both Russia and in China at different times experimented with day, uh, weeks lo- different than, than seven days, longer than that, actually. Uh, ten days in one case, and I forget the other one. Um, but the idea was to get away from any, any connection whatsoever with Christianity, anything having to do with the living God, and they wanted to make their own week. And you know what happened when they went to something like a ten-day week? The animals died, Right? Actually, the people weren't in very good shape, but they endured. The animals died because they weren't designed by God to go without rest for that long. Okay, So even as much as we seek to kick against God's good design, uh, God in his design to creation uh, will kick back. And we have to understand that, yes, um, the totality of this day is that everything should come to a halt 
in as much as possible, and we're going to mention the, the exceptions to that, of the works of mercy and necessity, of, of uh, there ought to be hospitals open, there ought to be law enforcement and the military doing what they're called to do on, on the Lord's Day as well. Um, but in as much as possible, even the animals get a break. And there in verse 11, For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. And I'll just, we, we've spoken about the rationale, but I just want to again mention the uh, amazing totality of God in asserting as he is the, the Lord of this Sabbath, he is the Lord of all the creation, he's made all these things, the earth and all that is in them. And therefore he, knowing the design of all these things, knowing what is best for us, as well as what is going to honor and glorify him, requires that we rest this one day in seven. Now, is there going to be a blessing attached to our rest, our honoring of this day? Absolutely. Jeremiah 17 reminds us. Jeremiah 17, 24, And it shall be, if you heed me carefully, says the Lord, to bring no burden through the gates of this city on the Sabbath day, but hallow the Sabbath day to do no work in it, then shall you enter the gates of this city kings and princes sitting on the throne of David, riding in chariots and on horses, they and their princes accompanied by the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and this city shall remain forever. But if you will not heed me to hallow the Sabbath day, such as not carrying a burden when entering the gates of Jerusalem on the Sabbath day, and I will kindle a fire in its gates, it shall devour the palaces of Jerusalem, and it shall not be quenched. Well, God takes our willingness to rest on the Sabbath day as a measure of our heart towards him. And I've said this before, and I'll say it again, that the gospel has everything to do with it, right? The gospel has everything to do with a willingness to cease from our labors. That's what's required when we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. We say, I'm not good enough. I have tried to create myself and I have tried to redeem myself in keeping God's law and I cannot do it. I cease from my labor and I rest in the means, the appointed means that God has given to do that in the gospel and I receive that. I receive what Christ has done, the Lord of the Sabbath has done on my behalf and I receive it passively. The same heart that's willing to receive that gospel is the same heart that's willing to cease from their labors on the Lord's day and instead to worship in a day of thanksgiving for the salvation that he's given to us, to worship and to rest. Well, those are the three points. So very simple. Remember, work, and rest. And now, as usual, we turn to those duties required and sins forbidden that we find in our larger catechism. This is 116. What is required in the fourth commandment? The fourth commandment requires of all men the sanctifying or keeping holy to God such set times that he hath appointed in his word, expressly one whole day in seven, which was the seventh day from the beginning of the world to the resurrection of Christ, and the first day of the week ever since, and so to continue to the end of the world, which is the Christian Sabbath, and in the New Testament called the Lord's Day. We've mentioned that this is something that not only did not begin with Moses, it did not end with the, the end of the ceremonial law, but continues to the end of the world. Now, the next one asks, how is the Sabbath of the Lord's day to be sanctified? 
The Sabbath or the Lord's Day is to be sanctified by a holy resting all the day. Holy resting all the day. Now, let me just point out the obvious implication of that and concomitant of that, and that has to do with why it is that we're here tonight. You probably understand that many churches don't have an evening service. If they have two services, they're actually repeats one of of another because their building isn't big enough. That's often the way it is, for instance, in America. And I I relate this. uh, I don't want to dishonor anyone, so I won't mention um, the the name of the other person involved, but our brother Benjamin Wantrop, as he's down in Barry St. Edmunds, of course, there are all these American military people there. Um, and I, maybe I can say this as an American military person, that they, they don't come to the, the evening service. And Benjamin, in his wonderful boldness, eventually talked to someone and said, why don't you come to the evening service? Now, you're not going to believe this. But they said, oh, we thought it was just a repeat of what happened in the morning because that's all they'd ever encountered in American churches, that you have two identical services at different times. And they thought they would just be hearing the same sermon and singing the same songs. Well, friends, we have, we frame the Lord's Day because it's, the Lord's Day is designed, the whole thing, to be a worshiping of the living God. It's, it's, it's a day of rest, but it's a day of worship of this God. And therefore, the way that seems right to the, the elders here, and the, the times and situations are very similar throughout all the Reformed world, all those who, who, who are aware of this commandment and seek to honor it, uh, we frame it. We have a service in the morning and we have a service in the evening that will help us and encourage us to keep our minds on the Lord throughout the day. And we know our own sinful hearts. So is it written in the Bible that you have to come to church twice on Sunday? No. Actually, it's commanded that you worship him all of the Sabbath day. And it is a help that we have two services rather than one. Well, not only it says there's a resting, a holy resting actually, a holy resting, um, not only from such works as are at all times sinful, but even from such worldly employments and recreations as are on other days lawful. And here what we're talking about is, again, the, the, the nature of this Sabbath is that it's a Halloween, a special day. And uh, not only are we not doing our ordinary uh, vocations on it, but we're also for refraining from various recreations and things. And we know that our days, really, that's probably more of our struggle today than working. Uh, as, as we have more, as our society continues to become more and more affluent, we have more time and resources for recreation. And our temperate temptation is to indulge in those things on the Lord's Day. Now, we don't go overboard in this. And, and uh, you know, I, I, I think it's, it's certainly a questionable matter that our brethren in certain places, for instance, would lock up play parks on, on the Lord's Day. I don't, I don't know if we'd, we'd wish to do that. And we understand that there are different aspects and different uh, ways in which people of different ages, it's appropriate for them to observe the Lord's Day. And, uh, you know, simple and spontaneous playing with our children and spending time in God's creation, I, I don't think that dishonors the Lord. And I think it's very much part and parcel of having a joyful Sabbath day. Uh, the Lord does not wish us um, to be miserable on the most important and joyful day of, of, the, of the week. But organized sports, for instance, of, uh, in which we would um, you know, do these things with great seriousness, 
of watching sports on television and those kind of things, well, it's out of accord with the nature of this day in which we are, uh, which we are finding our blessing, which we are finding our joy in the Lord in particular. And we need to rest from those things. And friends, let me say, even the world around us is saying we need to unplug for a day, right? The, the internet addiction, as it's called, not just of addiction to things on the internet, which is, of course, its own terrible scourge, but merely being addicted to being hooked up to a machine all day, every day, and all the, the tweets and, and Snapchats and all the rest of these things that are hooked up to it, we need to take a break from it. Okay? We need to take a break. And I'm not saying that every last thing is, is, is forbidden on the Lord's Day, but the question is, might it do us good to take a little break from that? And maybe even to, to take up a hard copy Bible and, and to be reading it and meditating on reading those good books that we've been trying to get to for some time on the Lord's Day and to engage one another in face-to-face conversation. Go for a walk and talk with people. Maybe that's a better way of doing these things. And making it our delight to spend the whole time in the public and private exercises of God's worship. I've said the wisdom and, and the need for having two services along these lines. But I want to say particularly making it our delight to do that kind of thing. Because it's our spending time with God. When we think about worship, what are we saying? We're saying, basically, whenever a human being encounters a living God, they fall down on their face and worship. Right? And so if you're going to spend time with your Lord, it's inherently some kind of worship. If you're spending this day with the Lord, it involves some kind of worship. Now, some of it's going to be public, and the other part of it's going to be private. And so we should absolutely be finding ways to help one another. Look, if the elders say we think it's a good idea for us to have framed the Lord's Day morning and evening, then probably you who are heads of households or otherwise in authority should also be finding ways to encourage this in the course of the day, to incorporate it into your meal, to incorporate it into your time at some other point, to regurgitate the sermon or to talk about, ask questions about it, to catechize and, and encourage a reading of scripture and good books. That's the idea, but mainly in delighting in it, right? The way that we model it, the way that we do it, the example we set is that we delight in it. Because the Lord doesn't want us to do it as animals that have to be beaten you know, with a rod to do it. But those who say, I love God. I love Christ. Now today, I have the wonderful privilege of spending a day with him. Heaven on earth. Then there's that exception. Except so much as to be taken up in works of necessity and mercy. And there are, again, I'll just mention that Matthew 12 text in which uh, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath and his disciples were hungry and began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. And the Pharisees find fault with it. Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. And he said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry, and he and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and ate the showbread, which was not lawful for him to do, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests. Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? And what he's saying is that it is inherent that some, in some ways uh, not everyone gets entirely to do absolutely nothing. Again, I have to work on this day. One of my main work days. Now, that doesn't mean that I don't also rest in my heart and soul. I do, and all ministers do. 
But the reality is somebody's got to deliver this sermon so that you can have the Sabbath that God would desire you to have. And so it was with the priest on the Lord's Day. And so it is with works of, of, of necessity and mercy generally. And so you who are involved in medicine and you who are involved in law enforcement and the military, you need fear. You need be, feel no guilt of doing what is required. Now, look, if, if there are ways in which you can uh, set things up so your, your time is not so frequent, great, use that. But inasmuch as it's part and parcel of your work, your vocation to have to work on the Lord's Day, sometimes that's okay. And likewise, we should never drive by somebody in need, walk by somebody in need and say, I'm sorry, I can't help you. It's the Lord's Day. We'd be just like those priests and Levites who passed, that poor man who was beaten and left for dead. We know then the good Samaritan is the one who took care of him. So accept as works of necessity and mercy. And to that end, we are to prepare our hearts with such foresight, diligence, and moderation to dispose and seasonably dispatch our worldly business that we may be more free and fit for the duties of that day. There is the preparation of the Lord's day. And isn't it wonderful that we live, we still live in a land that has a day, not only a, a Sunday, more or less, that is given to be the Lord's day, available for us to worship, more or less, and we pray for the work of day one, and we pray for the work of upholding these things and keeping back the move to make Sunday like any other day. But we also have a Saturday, which is actually, um, you know, due to Christian, um, uh, those who thought we should give working people a day, in essence, to prepare for the Sabbath because they were so tempted to do all the things that they needed to do since they were working the rest of the week. They couldn't take care of their homes or do those kind of jobs around their home and spend time with their kids, maybe in some other ways. Um, and so they said, let's have a Saturday as well as a Sunday. And we're thankful that we have it. And therefore, we should use it to get those things done and prepare well for the Sabbath, not just physically, but but spiritually as well, especially at the evening. Now, I'm going to briefly just go through the sins forbidden because I really think that these, uh, the ones that I've just mentioned, um, this larger catechism uh, that I've just mentioned, one, I think it's 115, is just excellent. Um, Sorry, 117. 117 is such a wonderful explication of it. Uh, And I'll just briefly go through now 119. What are the sins forbidden in the fourth commandment? Well, it's omission of the duties required, the careless, negligent, and unprofitable performing them as being weary of them. And I, I, again, that's the issue. Being weary of them is, is a sin. Amos 8.5, saying, When will the new moon be passed that we may sell grain and the Sabbath that we may trade wheat? And if in our hearts we're saying, Oh, the Sabbath day, I can't wait till it's over. Well, friends, that in itself is surely sin. So that kind of thing is out. And profaning that day by idleness and doing that which is itself sinful. Well, we, let me say, don't we get to rest? Yes, we get to rest. And if you're tired, rest. Right? But there's another kind of thing, which is pure idleness. Right? And if your body is not weary and you're not actually resting in that sense, then the day shouldn't be spent in pure idleness. Um, but there are so many profitable things. Um, to be done on the Lord's day uh, in encouraging one another. The ministry of encouragement is vital, and there are lots of people to be visited. Um, There are lots of books to be read, profitable books, um, having to do with the Lord and his things. There's a big Bible to read and a catechism to be memorized and all the rest of these things 
And we can do them with great profit. Songs to be sung. All those hymns and psalms which you don't get a chance to sing as much, well, there's a day to do it. So it's not idleness. And by all needless works, words, and thoughts about our worldly employments and recreations. And let me just say, funny how intensely these sorts of things come to our, our mind on this Sabbath day. Amazing. We sometimes have a more intense desire to take care of some, some worldly matter than we do on the rest of the week. And we have to understand that this is the world, the flesh, and the devil working against God's good design for the Sabbath day. Well, let me just close with that wonderful passage on, in Isaiah fifty-eight thirteen. If you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of our Lord honorable, and shall honor him not doing your own ways, nor finding your own pleasure, nor speaking your own words, then you shall delight yourself in the Lord. And I will cause you to ride on the high hills of the earth, and feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father, the mouth of the Lord." Has spoken. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are thankful that you and your goodness have provided for us something that Pharaoh never did and something that Satan never will a true and beautiful rest. We know, Lord, that ultimately this rest is pointing us to the final and ultimate rest in the new heavens and the new earth. But, Lord, for the time being, every single week we have a taste, a slice of heaven on earth. And on this day, it is hallowed and it is blessing. You have set your blessing upon it. And it is an appointment on which you meet with your people and bless them through the means of grace. Lord, how thankful we are that we need not work all the week as slaves. But rather, we have the privilege as those who bear your image to work six days. And then, in imitation of what you yourself did at the end of creation week, to rest on the seventh And Heavenly Father, how we're thankful that we have even something greater than creation to remember, but the death and burial, and particularly the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we do remember him each and every Lord's day. And so, Lord, as we think of this wonderful picture of the gospel, the entirety of Christ and his benefits to be found on the Lord's day and a great opportunity to receive of those benefits, again we pray that all here might surely receive and believe the gospel that is given to them, a gospel of rest, given to them by the Lord of the Sabbath, in whose name we pray. Amen.